uh, Skullboys. The Street Press Podcast with Sean Fraser. For a start, there are not enough white men doing podcasts. I've got to always support that when that comes along. I was talking to a mate today at a baby queue. We didn't cook a baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that yeah. was. I just want to thank you. Yeah, no, it was me. He wouldn't shake our hand until he finished putting on his glove. Imagine what he's like during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got you here for the podcast after your big night last oh. night, so I'm stoked with that. I get a thrill knowing that you're doing what you're doing. That's good. Well, I don't know what I'm doing today. We're just sort of just winging it. Did you moon Kylie Minogue? Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast. My name is Sean Fraser. I've had a few weeks off. I, uh, I got married. I went on a honeymoon. All of that. So uh, we haven't had an episode for, what, about a month now. If you've been following the podcast up until now, we have been able to get an episode out for over a year every single week. But I sort of broke the chain the last month took some time off for yep got married that was great fantastic day it it truly is one of the best days of your life if you're married and you're listening out there it's like the best party you could ever throw i reckon you look at the guest list and all the names on it and you think wow this is pretty good i do love these people and it was a it was an awesome celebration then from there it was a huge party i think we ended up going to sleep at like 5am on the Sunday. <laughs> so it was a huge night. And then I went over to Bali. I spent my honeymoon there. And the first night I was there, an earthquake, which was pretty hectic. 4am on the dot, wake up in the morning. I thought someone was in the bedroom, but it was actually just the room shaking. The glasses were making sounds. They were rattling. The bed was moving. Uh, yes, I've already heard enough honeymoon jokes. You, you don't have to send them in <laughs> about the bed rocking. But yeah, it was shaking for like 20 seconds in this room. And um, and that was wild. Never experienced that. I think it was 6.9 on the Richter. Checked on Twitter to see if I was going to die. Uh, and there was no tsunami threat. So I went straight back to sleep. And yeah, then spent the rest of the week drinking cocktails. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that is my time. That's what I did. That's why I wasn't on for the last couple of weeks, if you're wondering where I am. But we are back. We are back to normal. And this week, we have got a, uh, a legend of the punk rock scene. He plays in a band called The Hard Ons. Blackie is jumping on. It is awesome to have him on because, and I do mention it in this interview, he and Ray Ahn, who are also, who's also in The Hard Ons, they have probably... One of the longest Australian punk friendships. They started this band in like 1981 when they were in high school, hence the name. And everyone knows it in the punk scene. They, you know, if you don't know the hard odds, what are you doing? Uh, we had a chat and it was really, really great. We, just, we spoke about the pure love for songwriting that he has. Obviously, Tim Rogers from UMI has just recently joined the band in the last three years and they've put out three albums with Tim. They've toured to Europe with him. Uh, so there's plenty happening there. We have a chat about that. Um, we talk about him writing a song a day. You know, he's been songwriting for, you know, well over 40 years and he still loves it so much. He's pumping out one a day still to this day. We also chat about the big day out, the good old days, the glory days of the festival, um, playing in 40 degree heats and being sunburnt to a crisp and playing with the Ramones, which is pretty cool. 
They are the idols of the hard-ons, especially for Blackie. He just loves them so much. And if you're a big fan and you're wondering about the hard-ons documentary that's supposed to be coming out, we sort of touch on that as well. This is Peter Blackie, the guitarist of the hard-ons. Me? Yeah, I can. Look, let me turn this up as much as I can. I'm fucking deaf, so I occasionally will be asking you, huh? huh? Test one, two, one, two. Can you hear? Yeah, I can hear that. Just, yeah. That's good, man. How you been? How's today been? Uh, good. Just the usual. Worked my PT stuff, then demoed an idea, trying to learn how to make this drum track machine thing work on my home studio thing mm. and now i'm doing this what are you using at home for demoing here i got a zoom 16 track oh nice and i take it into studio and i i record the band a lot but when i'm doing demos at home i do them really really rough mm. um but for we're going to start work on another project and i wanted to make them a bit neater so like at least get a click track thing happening and i Fucking couldn't get anything happening because <laughs> I'm shit with tech, and I know I've got I, I've done it before a couple of years ago, and I don't know. I yeah, I've been trying for a while. <laughs> Zoom makes good stuff though, right? I had a eight track Zoom back in the day, like twenty years yeah. ago, and I used to record on that. And like the quality you can get out of those Zoom, um, you know, I know. and it's cool that you're still doing it that that this way as well. There's not many people that would be doing it that way. Yeah, it's it's look, it's demos, and yeah, I know. Like some of the demos, some we we hear it and we go, we could release this one day. I go, yeah. Sometimes when you fluke it, when you place the mics in the right way in the room, you get a nice fat drum sound, and it's like it's fucking came out good. So where does it go from there? It goes from the Zoom in an SD card, and then you show the boys, and then what? You go into the studio. Is that is that the process? Oh no, my process is long because. Look, I get ideas pretty much daily, and I just go for a, a bullshit detector thing. And <laughs> doing it on the Zoom is one of the last things, and it's a real old one. And then I burn the shit onto a disc. It's got a it's got a CD thing attached to it. Then I put it into various folders in iTunes, and then it sits there until you know I'm like, or right, I'm going to the studio, and I'll quickly go through some stuff and go, nah, I'm not feeling it. No, I'm not feeling it. Oh, yeah, this one. I'll show the guys this one. You know, just do it like that. So the various stages, you could sort of filter out what's poop and what's, you know, might have some spark. I like this idea of a bullshit detector that you've got. So what is it that makes you go that next step to turning it into a hard-on song as opposed to just throwing it out? Just basically – the energy I feel off it, you know, you, you can feel it. Like after a while, you sort of hope that your bullshit detector is good. And it's not just me. It's like, you know, I could be fully excited with an idea and take it to the rehearsal room and think, but what do you hear this? And then, you know, I can see like Murray and Ray look at each other and go, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Do you need any more songs for your next solo record? It's like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Fair enough. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get the hint. Hey, um, you write a lot of music, don't you? Like you, you were saying just before that you are writing something every day, but I've known for quite some time that you're quite a prolific songwriter. You have a huge catalogue. I've even heard Tim 
say um, how many songs you've got backed up all the time. That's not like everyone. Not everyone has that. No, but some people do. Look, I think, you know, in 2016, I did this project called The Song A Day where I did record and release the song every day for that year. And, and it sort of came about, well, A, my mum passed and I got this huge inheritance and I was like, what am I going to do with it? Uh, you know, instead of travelling, I thought I'm, I'm going to spend a year in the studio, you know, because, like, if I had a dream job, I'd be one of those old farts working in the Brill Building or, you know, or Tin Pan Alley, like, you know, just twinkling away all day, like, you know, coming up with ideas, you know, for, for people and things like that. So, yeah, it's just something that I really, really love doing. So I think I love it that much. I just, as I got older and older and hopefully, you know, better and better and, you know, I mean, I know that's, some will beg to differ. But, yeah, it's, look, it's just something that I really love doing. So, it's yeah, it's just something that I always work on. You clearly love it. When you think about how long you've been doing it, just in this band alone, you know, like the hard-ons have been going since the early 80s. You guys were in school. You and Ray, when I think about a relationship like you guys have, there wouldn't be much like that in the Australian punk rock scene, how long you guys have been working together in a band. How haven't you pulled each other's hair out? I think it helps that we, like me and Ray, we're like brothers, so we know each other really well. And, you know, we wouldn't pull each other's hair out because we just know, like we can just read each other, you know, and and our, uh, you know, we don't just have a working relationship. We're, you know, we're like family, so it's it's really, really easy. But I reckon there are a lot of bands out there that have lasted for a long time because they're really good friends as well as, you know, bandmates. So, Well, you guys have uh, done a terrific job. And uh, as I was uh, going through the catalogue, it's an impressive catalogue. There's so many songs. There's so many records. Even the last three years. What, three records in the last three years? Plus, you've got Tim in the band now. How did that all come about? Well, we needed a singer, and Ray goes, I've got a great idea, and that's how it <laughs> happened. His great idea was Tim rang him up, and Tim said, you're taking a piss, this will be a dream, and next thing you know, we're rehearsing. I've heard him say it. It was a dream to be in this band, you know. He'd been listening to the band forever. How long have you guys known him? You've known him for, for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, like we played with you and I, like when I first started out as well, like, you know, a bunch of times. I think all the bands have, you know, all the bands in each city, like, you know, we're still good friends with the guys out of Mass Appeal and Spunk Bubbles and The Hellman and Rack Hat and all that, you know. And, yeah, I don't know, I think in each scene, I guess everyone's just stoked that they're doing it. And, yeah, you just, you know, you, you obviously play shows together, you know, the feeling's very mutual, like with, you know, sharing gear and just going out and, fucking cutting sick and playing gigs and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. So it's, uh, you know, same with you and my, you know. Obviously, you know, some bands have really taken off, yeah. you know, like, you know, you played a bunch of shows with you and my, and next thing you know, they're fucking huge. And it's like, oh, I remember those guys, they're fucking massive now. It's really cool. So occasionally that happens, but it's still the same dudes. Awesome. So, yeah. You've had band members come. You've had band members go. What sort of energy does Tim bring? To the band obviously when it when a new band member comes into a band it's a different energy isn't it oh very much so yeah tim's energy was really palatable like it was i don't know if, even know if that's the right word 
But like I know people say, oh, you know, when he came along, that first album was already written. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything because you can write a song, but the band still has to make it into something. And he came along and, you know, saw the words and shit and, you know, he twisted the melodies occasionally and whichever way he twisted them, they were way fucking better. And he would have he would have twisted them in ways I wouldn't have thought because his vocal ability is way, way stronger than mine. So I still come up with shit with my limitations, which, you know, I know as a singer it's my definitely my weakest point. So not only did he do that, like, you know, for me, the, I've said it before in the way I like describing it, it's like all of a sudden having a soul singer in your band. But there was a lot of little vocal flourishes that he did as well, and they were like, you know, sometimes you can take little things, like little oohs and ahs, and it just changes shit completely, and he did tons of them. So on the second album we worked on together, there were a bunch of songs where all the words and melodies are his. You have fronted the band for, you know, a portion of the band's career. Mm-hmm. Was there a thought that before Tim came along that you might just front the band again? Uh Yes and no. Sometimes we sort of think, oh, look, it's easy if you do it. And then, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, but I've done it for a while and I'm really limited. So, you know, if we get someone else in, it's just going to add something. And, you know, because I sing with Nunchuck and I sing with my solo shit. So just just playing guitar is also a treat for me. And, you know, being able to, like, you know, have a really good sing and then try to, you know, do mad harmonies, you know, with whoever's singing as well is is also something that I really would like to explore a bit more of. Was your first show with Tim, it was actually not far from my house at Woo Woo, and I didn't know it was on. Was that a secret show or was that? Yeah, it was. Ah. Yeah, we called ourselves at that gig the, the Clatterstein Sausages. <laughs> you guys love um, your funny band names. <laughs> Ray came up with them all <laughs> And I loved hearing, right I loved hearing Tim say that Just some sort of feeling When he was up there And some sort of feeling he's had While playing with the hard-ons That is like no other feeling he's had before That's pretty special Yeah, that is Fuck I didn't know that And that actually Man, that means a lot to me as well You know, that's that's really fucking nice And I know I felt the same You know, there are times like for me, a gig, obviously, like like I love a gig just losing myself. Like for me, a gig high is, like I like every part of music, mm. even rolling up leads, I fucking enjoy. You know, every <laughs> really, yeah. From A to B, I just fucking love it. I, okay, look, at the end of the night, lugging the fucking gear back to the rehearsal space can be fucking yeah. hard. The adrenaline's worn off, and the quads, <laughs> you know, they weigh twice as much as what they normally do. Yeah, maybe that part can get a bit rough. But, you know, like obviously one of the best things is just that, you know, gigs can be fucking religious in how good you can feel doing them. Mm. You know, just the energy of the crowd, the you know, your amps on fucking full. You know, you're playing guitar everywhere you put your fingers, they just seem to work. You know, and I remember that gig, the first one with Tim, just being lost and then all of a sudden going, fuck, Tim's in the band. And I looked up and across and I'm playing and I'm seeing him being lost and fucker felt good. Just a euphoric moment for the whole band. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. And I know, 
like the crowd went off. So I know it was, you know, it was bouncing off to and fro. Like in a really good night, it's almost like, like the exchange of energy goes from band to crowd, back and forth, back and forth. And each time it gets bigger and bigger. And then, you yeah. know, you just have this good whirlpool of fucking crazy energy in, in the room. And sometimes you get other gigs, don't you? Where just some sometimes the chords just not sticking, or you know, oh, they happen. Yeah, no matter how good you are, even if you're in the hard ons. Yeah, they happen. Not everything's always in your control, and fuck yeah, you can have those days where you know your your fingers feel like fucking they're all thumbs. You know, they just can't do anything. <laughs> You know, and the sound system can be shit. You know, you can have shitty monitors where, you know, you can't, you know, I can't hear the fucking drums properly or, or anything. It just, anything could go wrong. But luckily for me, you know, the good gigs outweigh the bad gigs easily 50 to 1. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. 29 to 1. <laughs> that's why you're still selling tickets. Uh, <laughs> and, and how have the tours been? This year, I think it was Europe and East Coast of Australia? Yeah, uh, just just brilliant. The only thing, fuck, I wish Tim wasn't so busy because we wanted to really tour this record a lot more, and we will later on when he's not so busy. So, But, yeah, that was killer. Like Europe, fuck. You know, we went, I think it might have been our 21st or 22nd time there, and, fuck, it's, it's a real special place for us. You know, what, fuck, anywhere overseas is like like – to be able to have a band where, you know, you can lead the country and play to people who, are, you know, go just as crazy for you as, you know, as they do here is, you know, I'm very fucking grateful for it. And just with the pandemic and shit, not being able to, fuck. So that was the first time we went to Europe in five years. And it was it was very special. Seeing all those old venues we played, our old friends and fans and shit, it was, it was crazy good. I've read plenty that... Um... You guys do well in Europe, like you like you said, and I know that you've made it in the charts over there and stuff. You know, being a boy from Punchbowl, how does that feel? You know, I know you've been doing it a long time. I know you've been doing it since the early 80s, but like you said, 2023 it is right now, and you jump on a plane and you go over to Europe and people know your songs. Amazing. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's hard to describe that sort of thing without maybe sounding a little bit wanky, but it's it's – all I can say is I'm really, really fucking grateful because it's, you know, it could be a, a lot of things like just being in the right place at the right time because I know the first time we went to Europe was just crazy fucking good because we went with the band of Stupids. You know, we took them to Australia and they took us, you know, travelled with them through the UK and I uh, and Europe and it was, you know, and then we just, I don't know, just took off so we went, pretty much every fucking year for the rest of our lives almost until COVID. So I don't know the shit that things like that happen to me. Uh, yeah. Trust me. I don't take anything for granted. What's changed from the touring days of the eighties to the touring days of the 2023 for the hard ones. Are you drinking as hard as you did? Are you partying as hard as you did? No, nah, those things I don't do anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink anymore. Actually. Yeah. For me, like, I, I don't drink anymore and I definitely don't party either. I'm more like, you know, when I go to the hotel, the first thing I do is like, right, where's the nearest gym and where's the nearest vegetarian restaurant? And then I find where that is and then I'm like, cool, what time's the gig tonight? Because i got to be up early tomorrow. There's a really mad gym down the road. So, you know, I'll do, I'll do stuff like that now instead of partying. I'll get up early and have a sesh before I get on get into the van. 
Yeah, that's good. You've been looking after yourself too. You've always kept quite fit, right? Yeah, look, my dad was an athletics coach. So I think, and I'm lucky, again, it's something I'm really lucky with. When you get a taste of being fit, it's very, very difficult to go back to being unfit. I've been both. And, you know, my motto is the older you get, the more maintenance you need. So, you know, I love all that shit. And I do remember a gig that I played. Admittedly, it was a big day out and it was like fucking one million degrees. And we played underneath this steel awning. Yeah. I forgot the name of the stage. And so it might have been 40 out there, but where we were, it might have even been 50. And I remember like heaving and not being able to get through the gig very well. And like I was ashamed. It's like, you know, so yeah, I, I doubled up the ante in the in my gym sessions. So was that 1992? Is that the big day you're talking about? Oh, I, I'm really bad with uh, with uh, timelines and history and all that sort of thing. Ray's <laughs> really good with that shit. But it was one where we played fairly early in the afternoon and yeah, it was blistering midday sun. Fuck, and I do remember another one that we played in Adelaide. Mm. Fuck me dead. It was <laughs> brutal. And we did it with Jerry A from Poison Idea. Oh, yeah. And I thought, he's going to fucking die. <laughs> and again, with the stage, when we started, at least we were under the shade. But as the show progressed, you could see the sun getting closer and closer and closer. By the end of it, it was like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> we're playing like full at the back end of a, of a fucking rocket taking off. That's how full on the, like a blast furnace. We missed the big day out. It's just one of those things. It was a part of Australian culture. and Yeah, it was so good. Oh, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, there were so many fucking good ones with so many insanely good bands. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, Soundwave came along and whatnot. Uh, I loved Soundwave too, but Big Day Out was just such a big part. And like you said, in the middle of fucking January, <laughs> when it's the hottest, hottest Australia you can get, we bring all these bands out. Not only Aussie bands are there, obviously, but we bring these bands out from America and England and stuff and they fucking fry. I know. And they've, they've come from their, yeah, the heart of their winter <laughs> to the. And the Aussie sun can be really, really unforgiving. I do remember one time when we played with the with the Ramones, which obviously is another oh, wow. fucking thing that I'll, you know, when that tour finished, I cried. That's how how whew, that was for me. But like second or third gig, I'm backstage and there's Marky Ramone and he's walking with Philip and I'm going, you all right? And he goes, look at this. And because he you know, had ripped jeans, yeah. where the rip was, he was as red as a fucking lobster. Oh, and, no. he got, you know, and he touched it. And it's like, oh, the fucking agony. So for him, you know, drumming, because it's really intense on the hi-hats and, you know, the kick pedal. Oh, poor fucker. Do you have any good stories from that Ramones tour? I'm sure there would have been some, um, some big memories, some big partying. For me, the best moment was the first gig was in – Melbourne, and we're loading in the shit at the the backstage, so it's still really early, like sound check time. And Joe Ramones come comes out, and you know we're one of those bands. You know you got to be respectful when when you're touring with a big band. Sometimes they just want to be left alone because you know you're touring all the time, you're constantly badgered, you've got shit to do. You might have your own prep before you go on stage, so all that shit. So you know it's you know whatever. Let's just be cool and. Fuck, I'm so, I can't wait for this to start. 
he comes straight over to me and Ray and goes, hey, hard-ons, I fucking love you guys. I play you guys on my radio show oh. in, in New York. And me and Ray just looked at each other and went, I can quit tomorrow now. <laughs> yeah, that's a moment you just never will forget, hey. This is a band that was super important. Like, man, there was this quote from Tom Waits in Mojo once where he goes, I learned everything of Bob Dylan. Well, we learned so much about songwriting off the Ramones. You know, their songwriting craft is, you know, when people go, oh, that's simple shit, three-chord crap. It's like, man, most of the classic songs of all time are fucking, if you can if you can take three chords to make something magic with it, you're a fucking good songwriter. And their songs were as good as Motown, as good as Stax, as good as, fucking anything when you guys started as a punk band in australia and it was great hearing that you know the ramones were your your big thing but i mean now you guys are etched in australian punk culture what was happening around then how many punk bands were there were there were the hard-ons looked at like wow what's this music or was there enough punk around that everyone thought oh yeah we love this kind of music there was a little bit of both, right? Like we really came, I guess, even in the third wave, but we were really voracious music fans. So even before we played our first gig, we were already like, we were digging what the punk bands were digging. Like, you know, we went back and listened to a lot of Stooges and MC5, a lot of girl groups, a lot of garage music, a lot of 60s punk. But when we started, what was really big in Australia in the early 80s was still a lot of the, I guess you would call it oi and street punk, and some of it got really ugly. It's like like, like a lot of the oi was, uh, I guess, racist. Yeah, yeah. You know, you had a lot of skinhead music. You had a lot of that, you know, just, you know, for us was like, what's this fucking shit? You know, because mm. we grew up with the, with the Saints and Birdman and the Damned and Buzzcocks, you know, but we were also, because we were like a bunch of kids from the West, we also loved Kiss and ACDC and, yeah. you know, Ted Nugent and Van Halen and, you know, a lot of that shit, you know. And punk was quite uniformed as well. Like there was a lot of spiky hair and leather jackets and shit. And, yeah, we were just board shorts and long hair. So, you know, half the people were like, this is fucking shit. And the other half were like, <laughs> oh, that's more like it. There you go. Hey, I know there was a doco in the works. Doco mm-hmm. got scrapped, but now there's talk that the doco might be back on again. It's definitely uh, back on again. Okay. What can you say about the documentary? Uh, when was it filmed? When's it going to be released? What? It, where are we at with it? To be honest, I don't actually know because the guy doing it, Jono, he reckons there's a good chance it'll be out very early next year. He said... He goes, my problem is I've got so much shit to go through and most of it's good that I just don't know what to put in and what what to leave out. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, look, I'm not making it, so I can't answer any questions about it. Like, he could, but he seems to be quite positive about it. So it's, you know, I mean, I don't know anything about making a doco. So it's put it in his hands and we'll see what he comes up with. Peter Black from the Hard Ons, thank you so much. I'll be getting the popcorn when that documentary's out. And thank you so much for jumping on the Street Press that was podcast. A pleasure. Thanks for your time, man. Thanks for letting me ramble. Uh, no worries at all. Hey, I'm going to see the guys at the Lincoln Pin too, as well. Uh, Friday week. Ah, awesome. They helped you guys out, didn't they? Well, early on, they were your first um, record label, yep. weren't they? Mark Fraser, Vinyl Records. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so whenever he says, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, for Mark, anything. This is Yeah, Peter Blackie Black from the Hard Ons. Go check out the band if you uh, if you haven't already. They are they are rocking. Oh, seriously, how many albums have they got? They got like a hundred albums. Uh, if you were to put on the Hard Ons right now, from the very first album that they dropped to the latest record, which was released only a couple of months ago, it would probably take you a week of listening. They have that much material, and obviously so much more to come. He's a great guy, uh, and I can't wait for that documentary to come out. All right, it's time for these. Yes, this is the part of the show. Letters, you write to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. Uh, you can write about anything that you want, and I might read it out on the show. Um, also, you can just alternatively just hit up the Street Press Podcast on Instagram. That's the handle, the Street Press Podcast. I thought I'd just read out a couple of the nice messages that uh, a few people wrote on in uh, just before I headed off on this break. The uh, honeymoon, whatever. Uh, Blake Gutierrez, he is uh, a friend of the show. Also, we had him on an episode not too long ago. He says, have a blast, mate. He says he'd love to come back on the show as well. Um, So let's tee that up, Blake. That would be awesome. Maybe sometime in November. Uh, Josh, Josh, he says, congratulations, man. He's another guy that we had on the podcast uh, a couple of episodes back. He says, have an awesome time. I did. I got really, really drunk. Thank you for your message. Kirsty says, much love to you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the love, Kirsty. Uh, yeah, if you want to send a letter in, go to thestreetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters. There's also a link in the show links. Say hello. If you're someone out there that's been listening for, you know, well over a year and I haven't, you know, spoken to you or said g'day, reach on out. It'd be great. I really want to, uh, you know, get in contact with the listeners on this show. Also, if you like what I'm doing, you can become a member of the Street Press Podcast. At the moment, I'm offering mugs. <laughs> I haven't made them yet. I haven't got the mugs ready, but uh, I think I'm going to send out some mugs to anyone who's been enjoying the podcast and signs up as a member. There's also a members area on the website where you can uh, see who I've got coming up, which I don't really make public. Um, But if you remember, you can see who's coming up on the show and you can ask a question if you'd like to uh, one of your favorite artists. Go and check it out. That link is also in the show link. Now, for my band, The Ritzy Kids... Me, Scotty, Andrew, Jared, we are playing a gig this Friday at the Lincoln Pin, uh, which obviously just got to mention in that interview. It is a great venue. It's in Woi Woi. Uh, The gig is going to be free, and we've got Lion Island playing with us. That's uh, Bob from Bangers and Mosh. G'day, mate. I know you're listening. Gig's going to be fantastic. We are playing our brand new debut EP, Walking Talking Mess from Back to Front or Front to Back. Or it might even be jumbled. I've got to look at the set list again. But that is happening this Friday night, the 22nd of September. If you don't have anything on, get there. It's going to be awesome. There's a few people that are keen. I know that much. It's just going to be one big party. So you don't want to miss out on that. Free. Free gig too. So come on in. All right. I think that'll do it for today's episode. I'm back. I hope you're happy. <laughs> and uh, we got plenty of good artists coming up. I've already done a few interviews. Uh, I'm trying to get a bit of a back catalogue sort of rolling at the moment, but we will be back same time next week. It'd be lovely to have your ears right here. All right. Ta-da. Ta-da.